Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's Nature Connection Show, everyone. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about how just one person can make a difference and our, young, our youth and what they are doing to make a difference in regards to climate change. So 100 young climate change heroes from around the world, their stories are united under one book roof, I should say. It's called Stone Soup for a Sustainable World, Life-Changing Stories of Young Heroes. And we're very excited to welcome the author and also one of the young heroes. So let's start with the author. Author is Marianne Larned. Now, Marianne is the best-selling author of Stone Soup for the World series. She's the founder of the Stone Soup Leadership Institute, very, very cool. I encourage you to go to their website, actually, right away. <laughs> Just go check it out, stonesoupleadership.org. You can find more about the book there, but also uh, learning materials. It's really an amazing nonprofit. So uh, welcome to the show, Marianne. How are you? Thank you. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for all the great work and media that you're doing all over the world. Thank you. Nancy and I are very excited about this and also want to uh, introduce the hero, a young hero, Iris Jean. Iris, uh, you created what's called Fridays for Future Digital out of Maryland, USA. And we'll get into your story in a little bit. But first, we want to welcome. How are you? I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. Cool. Awesome. So you're in Maryland, Maryland, USA. Cool. Is that where you're based out of? That is where I'm based out of. Very nice. cool. I love your story um, about also going in and your, your stories feature in the beginning of the book. But, um, you know, when sometimes we get roadblocks in our life, we can either say, OK, that's a roadblock and just kind of cower or we're going to make our we're going to get past the obstacle and create something out of that. And that's what you did. Uh, so d- tell us about it, because it's, it's like a sunrise movement, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sunrise movement is is definitely a huge part of it. That's that's you know one of the major places that I, that I I got started. You know, learned all of of the core you know skills about what it means to organize people on a local level and what it means to you know bring about change in your community and how to be a leader and just what is at stake for the climate movement as a whole. It's got to be a little scary being young and hearing about climate change and your story, you know, Marianne put in there, it's like, okay, you're in, you're in school, they bring up climate change. And then it's like, here, we have climate change. Now, good luck with yourselves. Yeah, <laughs> and it sounds like that. No, go out there and go out it. there in the world and have a good time. <laughs> yeah, so, I love your perseverance, your persistence to go, okay, we got to do some more, we got to learn more, because that was the thing is wanting to learn more, right? Yeah. Mm. Learn, learn more. Marianne, um, I wanted to ask you what stone soup means, because I know there's the chicken soup for the soul, but this is stone soup. Tell us about the name. Well, stone soup is a fable from the 16th century. And it's oh. about a, a hungry traveler who was um, looking for a place to stay or some food to eat. And he was knocking on people's doors and every one said, sorry, it's been a bad winter, I don't, can't help you. And he went into the village and pulled out a stone out of his backpack and a pot and made a little fire. And people started to gather around and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm making stone soup. They said, what does it taste like? 
You said, well, it would be better with a few carrots. And someone said, oh, I have carrots. Mm -hmm. So someone else had potatoes. Someone else had, you know, whatever was in their cupboard. And pretty soon they created a feast for the village. So that's the basic premise of our work is that if we all pitch in, we'll create a sustainable world. That's awesome. You know, I like that because having lived in different countries, you can see the difference of how people live. When you come back to the States, we all have gates and fences. In other places, there's they don't. And they know their neighbors. Now, you can live anywhere in the States for 10 years and not know your neighbors. You really can. And that is something that doesn't happen in the country, other countries we lived in, because whether you approach your neighbors or not, they will approach you and say hello. And that's a big difference that we find here. Well, I agree with you in part, having lived in other parts of the world, but I will say there's a lot of gated communities. Yeah, they're kind of springing Mm -hmm. up now, yeah. In Uh, other parts of the world. So, but what's really, really wonderful wherever I travel is that it's stone soup is a universal story. It may have a different name, may have different ingredients. In in Asia, for example, instead of potatoes, they have rice. Mm-hmm. Um, in some places, they have pork instead of chicken or, you know, whatever. So, um, but the basic premise, and when I li- worked in the Philippines, they had a word called Bayanian, and we work with the community to basically that you were a hero by helping your community. And so I found it fascinating everywhere we went to just listen to the stories that people had about the power of people working together to create positive change in their community. Hmm. That's what I think I love so much about your book is that you put a hundred heroes together. So it's like all these heroes did one action and look at the ripple effect from that. But, you know, also saying that they're young heroes because come on, Iris, we all know. I know this happened when I was in schools like these kids of today. Well, us kids of today, we all do Don't something worry. cool, you know. <laughs> and so there's times where um, we kind of, you know, we're naughty or whatever. We all have our moments, but kids do stand up. And I think we're seeing more and more of our youth doing so much. And your book not only shows about youth of today, but youth of like Luna's in there, uh, you know, from the butterfly lady in the Redwoods. I actually, it's one of the few books, you know, we travel full time. And so when we started traveling, we gave everything away to and to uh, a company that one well, organ, a nonprofit that helps house the homeless, uh, people who are homeless. And so we gave everything and except for a few treasures. And that is actually one of my few treasures is about Luna and, and uh, the Butterfly Hill. So Uh, Julia so yeah it's it you know when you think about those stories I think it's great for youth and for adults to read what the youth they are powerful they are powerful in a positive way Mm -hmm. well I think putting them together is a big deal well and you know um I had a two book deal from Random House so the first book is a hundred people from the last half of the last century And so some of their families are in this, uh, they're passing the legacy on Cesar Chavez's grandson, Gandhi's grandson. Um, So many of the families that have really dedicated their life to building a better world. Mm 
Mm. And but it's been really wonderful talking with Iris today. She I was asking her about a favorite story that she's read in the book and to, to see some of the people. And she was talking about Alex Lors, who I talked to when he was 13. He was the youngest person at the time to go through uh, Al Gore's training. Mm. And we had a youth leadership summit in Virgin Gorda. And so he was coming, but he got sick and wasn't able to come. So we have people like Alex and then Severin Suzuki, David Suzuki's mm. daughter, who spoke at the first uh, uh, Rio summit. And uh, the video is called The Girl Who Silenced the World for Five Minutes when she was 13. So we have so many of these young people that over the years have really tried to wake people up. And so now there is a collective uh, awakening, of course, at this crisis time. So it's such a, a privilege to be able to work alongside of them and to shine the light because, you know, the young people today have a future that they take seriously. And I think we need to do whatever we can to shine the light and listen to them. And help. We want to help, too. We want to do things and take action. So, Iris, tell us about these Friday moments. This, so are you using the Internet? Tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah. So um, the, the core of Fridays Future Digital is that we support local communities across the world to, to run digital actions and digital campaigns to help improve accessibility and uh, impact in the climate movement. And so, you know, along with the whole Fridays for Future movement with the goals of, you know, taking action every Friday, you know, every every Friday, you know, we take digital actions uh, to, to support the, the campaigns that, that we are running across the world. And a good example of that is actually the campaign that, you know, we're running now. Right now we are running a campaign called Cyclone Talk Day, which is, you know, about the cyclones that took place in South Asia and they're connected to the climate crisis and um, helping the people they're most affected. Um, and so, you know, some of the actions we have, we have a webinar on that Friday, we have some tweet storms to, you know, promote the webinar and our fundraisers as well. So how can we connect in? What's the best website for everyone to go to so that I want to be part of the tweet storms. I'll tweet it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So we have all sorts of toolkits and the toolkits, uh, for our campaigns, have all the information about the campaigns, um, all of the proper links for you to easily, you know, click to tweet. We have simple click to tweets where you don't have to, you know, uh, do anything special, write up your own tweets. We have all templates for you. And on Friday, you know, you click to tweet. Um, and we also have email storms depending on the campaign. And so basically, uh, it has our toolkits have all the information about the campaign and ways to take action all in one link. And we all have them on under our CODA uh, toolkits website, as well as our general website, which is digital.fridaysfuture.org. And um, you can also, you know, support it on our social medias, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, yeah. What's your favorite social media outlet for this? Do you have a favorite one? Um, I'd, I'd have to say it's either Instagram or Twitter, okay. um, just because Instagram definitely has the biggest audience, but Twitter is the easiest for spreading information for sure, just because you can easily spread links of, you know, fundraisers and petitions uh, for easy access to digital actions. It's very easy. Anyone can do it. 
Mm. And so it doesn't matter, like I can be in my middle ages and help you. Yes, of I'm course. From- I mean, we are a youth-led movement. Yeah. But we need support I'm from the middle ages. <laughs> Sorry, but so anyone can help you. Yes, anyone. We need everyone. And that's the thing about the climate is we need everyone. So this has become basically using the digital world you're using this as like your giant billboard, you know, because I know a lot of times we can do rallies, we can be on foot um, during, obviously during COVID times, it's, we can still be effective during COVID. We can, we can yes, still be effective. Absolutely. Actually, mm-hmm. we, we, I think COVID kind of, I know it's a sad time and, and people have lost their lives and still are. So I'm not putting that, but the environment got a bit of a break. Mother nature got a bit of a break during this time because we weren't driving so much, you know? So I kind of hope that as we are emerging out, we may have to go back inside. I don't want to, um, but as we, you know, merge out that we take those principles and, you know, maybe not overcrowd our parks. And do we need to really all drive a big suburban by ourselves? Right? Ah, yeah. What's your favorite part? Like, what's your, you know, special cause? Like, when, when I said a big suburban, you, you gave me the, the pointy finger. <laughs> oh, yeah, what, what, so is that one of your passionate parts of topics? No, I, I mean, it's just that, um, yeah, you talked about, you know, how, you know, COVID has kind of, you know, made us, you know, act in more sustainable ways. And, you know, that's definitely something that I really, you know, hope to see after this pandemic is that, you know, we start to do things more remotely in the ways that, you know, we are, we do in Fridays for Traditional, you know, everything, you know, virtual as much as possible. And that, you know, we, you know, conserve energy and don't have to drive as much. Um, and I think that's really possible, you know, pandemic or not. So how many people do you have like helping you? Um, we have uh, almost 200 ish people um, across the world. Um, yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. And then you people that go in and it's like, hey, you know, it doesn't take long for me to share some information yeah. and learn. Is that still part of it is to actually raise awareness of certain things? Yeah, learning is, is, is a really important part. I mean, one of our objectives, you know, is to raise awareness of climate justice and science issues. And that's why we have, you know, an entire, that's why our toolkits, you know, have, you know, all sorts of links and, you know, paragraphs of information about all of the campaigns in depth. We also have an entire research working group that's dedicated to, to researching and, you know, spreading all of this information. Uh, now, do you feel a bit better than the first day you um, heard about climate change in school do you feel like once you get more information and can take action it kind of gets the fear away a little bit yeah I think it's a combination of the more you know the like on one hand the more you know um, the more you feel like you can do something about it but also at the same time the mm. more you know the more it can be scary you know they just, can be scary. just yeah. with uh, this the summertime is the time when the climate crisis really is you know it's is really showing itself you know we've we've seen all of the heat waves and the wildfires and the flooding and mm. and and such all across the world and it's you know really you know it's really telling us <laughs> that the climate mm-hmm. crisis, it, all, it always is more urgent than we really think it is. Yeah, that's well, a comfort zone. Well, there's that denial factor. Yeah. You know, I remember, gosh, maybe in the 70s, there, we had some huge droughts, especially in California, and people were asked to at least lower the water capabilities of their swimming pool, don't make it two inches less than what you would normally fill your swimming pool. And people were outraged. 
I mean, how dare you? When you think, hello, you know, do you do you understand we're running out of water? And maybe your swimming pool could water your vegetable garden that you really might need one day <laughs> if you don't act now. And it's been, I mean, I just remember growing up with exactly what you're talking about. We've known about this for over 40 years. Yeah. If not longer. We really, really have. And apparently part of being human is waiting to the last minute to try and do something. You know, in a way, um, it's unfair that it lands on your shoulders. Um, it's unfair that it landed on our shoulders or my shoulders at my age. Yeah. Somehow society has to come to grips with we do not own nature. We need to live within it. The idea of controlling it, we've pretty much proven we can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. You know, when's the last time you controlled a tornado? She zipped right by me. No, but right, yeah, and I said well, stop and it just kept going. I know, but this is also important because we have so much research, like you're saying, you're, you've got yeah. you know, research labs going. I think that is really important because that's the one thing is to get the information out for people mm-hmm. to understand. I think we're really, I mean, the evidence is really there. Um, Marianne, um, that's something I think which is so cool is that you do have information on your mm-hmm. website for people. Um, what, what led you to stand up for sustainability? Sustainability. Well, <clears throat> I give credit and honor to my um, grandmother, who was a Native American, for teaching me about gardening and mm-hmm. for teaching me about saving things, Christmas pet wrapping paper and so forth. Yeah. I'm the oldest of 10. And so I learned at a very early age to um, be very careful. You know, she was had lived through the wars. So I think that uh, mm-hmm. she lived with us. And um, so, and we didn't have a lot with 10 children. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a sense of frugality in my life. Uh, you know, I have Scottish ancestors as well on my father's side, so in Irish. Um, but then I was given the opportunity to work in different, um, really uh, challenged communities, particularly on islands. So no, after, no, after, yeah. the, after the book, um, the first book came out, it was in English or in Spanish, and um, Deepak Chopra and Oscar Arias had a launch of an event, the Alliance for New Humanity, and a lot of great people spoke at that, um, Al Gore and Jane Goodall. It was Al Gore's first presentation of the Inconvenient Truth, as a matter of fact. And I was asked to work in the island of Vieques, Puerto Rico. And uh, the Navy had just left uh, after being there for 68 years. And so I went thinking I was going to finish this book. And what I was exposed to there totally changed my point of view and my experience. And I lived there for four years. I went for a couple of weeks and lived yeah. there for four years. <laughs> Funny and so how that happens. Yeah. <laughs> I, saw, I saw in that, you know, I experienced um, climate change in 2003 to 2007. And uh, we met with the young people, we had a week long sustainability summit there for four years. And we brought together uh, Latino leaders that were in my first book, including Cesar Chavez grandson. And we just talked about what are the issues facing the community? What are the issues facing the young people? And the first summit we had, there was no water, Mm -hmm. unless you had a cistern. 
Oh, wow. And so one of the workshops that we did during this week-long summit was how to take a bath with a gallon of water. <laughs> and, and so the young people taught us from the very early stages about how to live sustainably. And then, you know, they had 24 inches of rain in 24 hours, you know, the week later. So, you know, those extreme uh, of climate change was something I lived with for four years with people and also the environmental toxins. And so to understand the impact of that on a, on a small island. But I lived in Puerto Rico, I lived in Hawaii, the Philippines, Sri Lanka, and what I've come to see, and, and that we have young people, it's the last chapter in the book called Emerging Island Leaders. And what we found is that they're the canary in the coal mine, the young people on the islands. Wow. We have, we have three stories in the, this book on the Philippines. And some of the islands that I used to work on in the Philippines are no more because of the typhoons. Hmm. You know, we had Carlisle Richardson on our show um, a couple years ago. He was, he's retired from it now, but he was the UN ambassador um, for climate change um, for the islands. In fact, I know he's working on an mm -hmm. island foundation and he was talking about how islands are really like you're saying, you know, the canary in the coal mines. Um, our islands are in so much trouble. And he was saying that the hurricanes are worse. And so the national natural disasters are worse um, Iris, you were just talking about wildfires. Nancy and I have been through a gazillion wildfires, hurricanes, flooding, all of that. And this year, the wildfires, we just came through California and Oregon. And um, it was really devastating to see California in such a drought. And Oregon is in a drought. You wouldn't know it if you lived there. I mean, if you didn't live there, um, we don't live there. But it was really gorgeous to us. However, apparently it was in a drought. And look at this fire that's raging. Um so a lot of change has to happen. I mean, in earthquakes in places that aren't used to, you know, look at Germany. So, you know, so we're seeing these things happen and there are such, there's so many things we can do. And that's the thing I, I love about what you, you both represent is the power of change. And, and it can be little things like, you know, we travel full time and you may have heard a dog dreaming just now, wolfing in the background in his dream. But as we travel because of COVID, we started pet sitting across the country and we miss having animals. So that that was bare. <laughs> but anyway, where we are right now in Texas, uh, the garden, this lady has really created this beautiful native garden. And we had a big rain. But the beauty of it is that she's got two rain barrels and she's trapping all this water and then she uses it for her fountains, she uses it for her house plants. And so she's recycling water all the time. I mean, even composting, the whole thing is going on here. And she has this amazing ecosystem that you mm -hmm. wouldn't believe. Baby birds and here and then here come the hawks and we're like, that wait, awesome. but that's, that's the ecosystem. So it, when you are in places where people are living and coexisting with nature, you can really feel the difference just even on your body and your soul. But this was just one thing, a rain barrel. So it's these one actions, mm -hmm. these little steps that we can all do. And I think that's another thing with stone soup. It's these little actions we all do together. Iris, what is one thing we can all do right now that you'd like to see that a simple action that we could all do? Oh, you got to unmute yourself. She's <laughs> muted. I'm. She's pushing <laughs> buttons. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think that, you know, the actions that, that I mentioned before are, are very much simple and then you can like, you know, do like, you know, right this instant, right this second, you can just do it like that, is that is our digital actions from our toolkits. I think our toolkits are the easiest way and the all in one hub where you can, you know, learn everything you need to know about these important campaigns that need your support and just send these emails and tweets and sign petitions and and send them to your friends uh, just like that and i think that you know that is an individual action that is contributing to systemic change mm. and and so you go and put all this work together and thought behind these campaigns we know that side from running magazines and radio shows it's like oh you got to get all these campaigns basically together right um, and listen yours are so that it's it's there's just so much work and having to get your research correct Right. So you have to double, triple check what you're putting out there. So when you first put this together, what was your thought process? I want to learn more. Right. And and then going, OK, I'm going to take action. But you've obviously gone step by step. Or did you think all of this at one time and put it all together in one place? How, how was that? Just for those listening that go, I want to do something and create a, a big change. What what can I start doing? Yeah, so the way we run our digital campaigns is that, you know, we directly organize with local groups. So, you know, local groups um, who, you know, need our support with digital campaigns, digital actions, you know, will request support. And then, you know, we bring in, we set up the campaign structure and get all the proper research and strategize the partners that we need to reach our goals, the stakeholders, you know, the types of digital actions we need and put together all the social media posts and content in order to communicate the campaign, reach out to all the, you know, right press. And so we have a lot, we have, you know, certain methods of how we, you know, organize a digital campaign. And so for those who want to organize a digital campaign, we have a step-by-step guide and our CODA uh, website and it's called how to create a digital campaign. And, you know, it goes through step-by-step, you know, how to, you know, find what local issue you want to tackle, how to find your stakeholders, how to create click to tweets and, and email storms, and, you know, how to get all of the different roles you need for a digital campaign. So yeah, it's just as easy as- She's a one-stop one shop. shop. There you go. Good. <laughs> this is awesome. So people can really learn. And this is something like what a, non- a nonprofit would set up. You've basically kind of created your own organization but people can have their own chapters around the world and and set up you know just hey i'm going to start working with you and and they just contact you through the website right and then get started and they can create their own campaign so if there's something like a bad runoff you know a chemical runoff in their community right because that happens in the streams and things like that Mm -hmm. they could go connect with you on your website yeah and then go we need to stop this. And you may mm-hmm. not have ever heard of this. It could be a tiny town in Iowa or something, you know. We'll help and, them. And you'll help them. Well, you totally rock. Cool. This is awesome. Cool. Very this cool. is, I'm going to use it. I'm going to, you know, as we travel, we see all kinds of things, things we want to and things we don't. One thing I'd like to do is get mm-hmm. everyone to really stop with the trash. We have a trash problem. And I was telling, you Literally, know, Nancy and I were talking about this problem. the other day. I've battle to take photographs these days even in park areas without having trash involved and i know some areas like if you're in the desert high winds can blow you know things out of a trash can that's actually been secured and um so things can happen but we have seen and part of the reason we started our love your parks tour is we were in the everglades and we watched a child 
throw their can, soda can, into uh, the uh, this beautiful lagoon area. It was on the um, the Hinga Trail, which is a very popular place in the Everglades where you see a Hinga birds and alligators. And, you know, this is like the coolest, you know, just a boardwalk trail. And the parents didn't do anything. They didn't say one word. And we sat there like, this is this sucks. And I have a photo of it stuck amongst all these alligators. Now, who's going to go and get that? Yeah, really. And we've seen all these this. It's an epidemic Mm. to me, the trash we've seen. Um, the entire like Tuskegee National Forest just covered with trash uh, mm-hmm. out near Joshua Tree area. Entire sofas. Uh, just driving from Florida to Texas, high heeled shoes, high heeled shoes, couches, recliners. I I don't know what's going on in our country, but I would like to set up a campaign to stop the trash. So I'm going to go to your website. I, I want to stop the trash, uh-huh. and and I I haven't been posting these photos, and Nancy's like. We need to show the photos. What would you say, Iris? Mm-hmm. Should I should I show the photos? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we will. We could encourage you to look up the story in the book about Lily in the Netherlands. Yeah, that's also okay. good. Example. And she's she's the champion. She just turned thirteen, and she's quite a dynamo. We could be on your show another time. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's she's become really world famous thanks to us and others. So um, one of the things that I think that we're missing the most and Iris and I talked about this is the fact that we're not teaching about this in our schools. Mm -hmm. And so our work right now, if, if I was to have the opportunity to say, what's one thing we could do, I was sitting here reflecting on that because we have a call to action at the end of every story. Um, And so, you know, people can read a story and, and learn about what they can do. But what I'd like to ask is if you could invite your readers to have the, um, them share the book with uh, educators in their community. That the biggest challenge that we have is that there's not enough STEM teachers, there's not enough STEM tools, there's not enough of a STEM budget, and the young people really wanna learn about what they can do, and it's not being taught in our school. So we have not only the book, but we have a companion curriculum mm. that will be out next week, next month, which is, Um, We have language arts, um, STEM activities, uh, sustainability initiatives, and sustainable career pathways for every story in the book. I love this. And it's also, uh, we have state standards. We have, there's the new uh, generation of STEM standards that are for 20 states. And so um, the teachers can use it in the classroom freely. And you can go on our website, sustainability is fun dot net okay sustainablesfun.net all right and so you can see the lesson plans we have videos we have audios and then we feature a story a week on the from the book and their lesson plan so um, we provide that for free for educators this is awesome and i was wondering about that because of what iris you know ran into it's like here's climate change and then you know Good night. Um, so that whole part, why was that? What, where's that hole? Is it a political issue depending on where you live ever? Or is it a, I, that's why I didn't understand if this is, and what age group would this, should the education be, st- I think it should be, you know, not wasting, et cetera, should be something from when you're a baby. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, if, if, if it can be in the homes, that would be ideal. It's not always and depends upon the family. Um, but it definitely should be K through 12. What mm-hmm. we've found, um, we are particularly interested in helping to influence uh, young people's decision making process about what kind of careers and what kind of jobs they get so that they could um, we have so many young people that want to be involved and they volunteer at first, um, but they really want to have a job so they can pay their bills. And so we really want to have, you know, there's 10 million jobs supposedly going to be developed with the new Green New Deal and so forth. The challenge is that they're not being trained in school about what these opportunities are. They're not getting prepared for those. They're getting prepared for old school jobs that don't exist anymore. Mm. And so they, we need um, Mm. a a training process. You know, we're retraining all of the union workers for the green new deal, but we need to really train the kids for the jobs that are coming up today. So combination of both education, Mm. but also about career development and our, we've discovered that Mm. The gatekeeper is the guidance counselor. Mm-hmm. The guidance counselor really influences more decisions than you can possibly imagine because young people mm-hmm. 16 don't necessarily know what they want to do. And so they're very impressionable. And people can say, oh, be a lawyer, be a doctor, which is great. And we have a lot of those. What we don't have is enough irises. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough of the young people that are being encouraged to be able to have a, you can have a career and make a difference and make a good living. You can be an entrepreneur, you can create something that's going to, you know, uh, address the trash. We have a story in the book, as a matter of fact, that Iris has met uh, Francois in Spain, and he makes sunglasses out of plastic. Yeah, I was reading, that's Mm, so cool. That's cool. You know, I'm thinking that we know so many organizations that feel like we need to have a symposium and bring certain organizations together that can work together that don't know each other now. Especially when you're talking about kids, I think Supercamp and and your organization could work together. I think American Force could work with your organization and Supercamp. I feel like we could put five or six organizations together that have like ideals that could, because we know all of you, can see that you could work together and be stronger as a group. Hmm. I think that's something worth trying, Lisa. You know, well, yeah, we we're always looking for new. You know, Stone Soup is all about everyone yeah. coming together. We have over a hundred organizations mm-hmm. from my first book, mm-hmm. and then we have another hundred in the second book, and then we have a nomination process so people can nominate the young people to be in the book. So we, we partner with a lot of folks around the world. So that's, that's, that's what it's taking. I think that's that what really it's going to have is. to take. Yeah. Um, the one thing too, and you were talking about um, the education system, mm-hmm. that's something I think it, it's so crucial. And I think a lot of parents are also homeschooling, especially now with, you know, COVID, um, that kind of you know, parents suddenly found themselves being teachers. Um, I don't know how the youth felt about that or the parents. <laughs> Iris, how does it go? But, you know, really, there is that um, it, it's it goes hand in hand. And I think what you're saying about the business side too, the entrepreneurial side, and, and it's like, hey, you could be in landscaping. We just uh, chatted with American Forests and they were talking about, you know, 
these millions of jobs that can be created if we achieve tree equity and plant more trees in the right neighborhoods and plant the right trees. There's caring for trees, all of these Mm -hmm. things. However, you're right. Um, It's not out there. The word is not out there. And, and for the educators, where was it about, Hey, I wanted to be a fireman. Okay. We know that one, but where's the, Hey, I want to be the person who climbs up on the top of the tree and, and hangs out with trees. If I, I, I'm there, man, I'm all into it. I'm a tree climber or was, you know, that's my thing. So I think those kind of, um, you know, careers and it, you know, when I look at all the people that we've, you know, interview and work with, you know, park rangers, a lot of time it started from them volunteering as a kid. Right. And, you know, those, those things. So um, volunteering, like really what you're doing, Iris, is you're volunteering for us as a world with what you're doing, you know? So, and it does, it, you learn so much, not only are you doing something for oh, yeah. climate change, but the, the education you're getting from what you're doing is second to none. I mean, really, do you feel like you're learning organizing, you're learning communication, you know, you're learning how to research and put it together oh. that people can ingest, you know, get people that information skills. in. People skills is huge. Yeah. That's a big thing. That well, I, I think also that what she's learning today is about the power of the media. And mm-hmm. Walter Cronkite was the chairman of our board. Oh, and, cool. And very really cool. We honored him by having the Walter Cronkite mm-hmm. Awards. And we would prepare young people to use the power of the media for positive social mm-hmm. change. And so we have several, you know, people from the media in the book. Um, who are, you know, reporting on what's going on in the world and climate change particularly. So I think that a shout out to to you and to encourage more parents to think about this as a career pathway for their young people, mm-hmm. because we need to shine the light and get the message out on through the media as the best way. And media now is look at the world of blogging, right? It, before they yeah. used to just think, you know, it's a girl in, in her kitchen, you know, duplicating Julia Child recipes. Think, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's, yeah. <laughs> look at blogging. It, at one point, it was like, no, no. And, you know, it, look how big it is. And so a lot of these um, careers, creating apps for the environment, you know, think about all of these things that can mm-hmm. be done um, is amazing. Uh, I would like to see more businesses that, um take some steps yeah. too. And I think uh, the connection between youth and corporate America and global corporations and small business is really crucial. Um, the more we're going into robotics and AI and everything, a lot of that is really good depending on how we're using it, right? But, you know, it's youth connecting with these um, businesses is important, but if it could be done also in a way where youth bring something to them like, hello, can you put a native plant garden outside your front door? Mm-hmm. Um, could you do, you know, you're printing out all this paper and not recycling it. Just some mm-hmm. simple steps like that with the business. I don't know. I kind of feel like there's an intern kind of situation there between the youth and businesses. What do you think? Well, that's one of the things that the Institute does. We train young people to be leaders in sustainability. And so we build bridges with between the education community, the government, the business leaders in each of the communities that we work with. And so internships used to be a lot more internships available, especially in the blue and green economy. Mm-hmm. That's, that's less of a situation. So we're really trying to encourage that. 
We found in Hawaii, for example, they have a goal of 100% renewable energy by 2045. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, made a big push to bring in some entrepreneurs from Asia and other countries to bring in some investment money and provided, you know, a, a, a beautiful place for them to develop their great ideas, particularly in marine uh, entrepreneur companies. And yet when they wanted to scale up, they weren't able to hire people because huh. of this issue where the fact is the kids aren't learning about this in school. So, wow. the, so the young people are really the key to being able to be the, the, one of the key steps in this process. So the business community has been so busy in, you know, this transition, you know, from fossil fuel to renewable energy and to try to figure out how that's going to work. And thank God we have new administration who's funding that and supporting that. And so many people are working towards that. But the missing ingredient is that we have to prepare the young people for these jobs because otherwise, you know, we get all of these plans in place and the young people are off doing something else. Exactly. They, they didn't know there was a, they didn't know there was an opportunity for them to do mm. this. And that's why corporations, I mean, they're always, it's kind of like, you know, the, the sports, the, I, I shouldn't call it a company, but um, sports is a big industry. I'm just saying they're oh, yes. always looking, universities are looking at, yeah. at, at high school, right? And, you know, at their sports players, it's the same thing in corporations looking at what's going on in colleges and in high schools. They're already out looking to see what the youth are doing. Where are they stepping up to the plate? Iris, what you're doing, uh, an employer is going to look at that and go, Holy cow, we got to have Iris, you know, she's an organizer, she's a, she's a doer and um, fearless in standing up for what you believe in, which is and doing it in a positive way, not just, we can, I mean, we got angry about what was going on in parks, and we were banging our head on the wall just doing shows, (laughs) and eventually you just start getting mad and angry. And it's like, no, this isn't helping anything. We got to go on the road and really show and tell and get people to understand. So that's what you're doing. And I feel like that's employers, you know, in in these corporations. You want your next wave of really high-end, you know, employees. You've got to start putting something back into the school. So I feel like they should be contributing into the schools too. I'm just saying. Well, you know, I... I I'm not sure Iris would ever fit in a corporation. Let me just start there. <laughs> I think Iris will do very well working with an entrepreneurial focused, smaller mm-hmm. uh, company uh, mm-hmm. or organization. Um, and one of the challenges is that David Wicker, who's in Italy, was a teacher for me. He's in Fridays for Our Future Italy. And I was so excited. Italy was the first country to require sustainable education in the schools. Mm. And so I wanted to, you know, include that in the story. I was like, David, this is so awesome. I want to be able to shine a light on them so that we can encourage other countries like the United States to do mm-hmm. that. He said, "Don't please don't put that in my story because in order to implement this, they got a fossil fuel company to fund it." So you can oh. You can only imagine what you can only imagine what the content of that curriculum is. No. No. See, but that but that's really interesting uh, because we see be that careful. in towns. You have to be careful about yeah companies, but by and large, corporations are still very, very much invested in the old model. 
There's well, a few companies, a few corporations, and they're in the book. Mm-hmm. And we have some great ones that in our network, you know, seventh generation, and we have C to C who makes the sunglasses and so forth. But it's going to take a little while. I wouldn't wait for the corporations to be the leaders of this movement. No, but I just think that they should start looking at it and funding those things. Not, but I, and I know exactly what you're talking about because it's the same thing in communities that we go to mining communities, for example, and they keep renewing the mine will renew its lease, but not really do anything. And so the community is waiting and then they'll go, Oh, we'll fund the school over here or we'll put our name on the library but they've already just destroyed the earth with what they've done in the mining part. And so they keep renewing the lease because it's cheaper than doing the reclamation. But anyway, and it's the same as corporations like, you know, putting their name on a national park. That is wrong. You can't do that. So, you know, so I understand your balance of that. I was meaning more of the good people putting into the funding of those programs. The good ones. Absolutely. It's just, it's, it's just an, a teaching opportunity. I was one of the founders of the corporate social responsibility movement. Mm-hmm. So um, when I was, I was the first and only woman in the, a lot of the corporate board. Oh movement. boy. Fun. When, I was, when I was 28, 29, only woman. And, um, you know, I was very idealistic about how we could get the corporations to be leaders in creating change. And um, it, it, it shifted in the United States corporate social responsibility CSR. It's having a little bit of a comeback with the green movement, but it's much more popular in other countries now that, you know, people doing good. My first, my first book had a whole chapter is the largest chapter in the book called doing well by doing good. But now um, that's become more enlightened self-interest. It's more marketing, you know, getting their name. Agreed. on things. Getting yeah, there. So I think that the real key is to invest in the, you know, the, the thinking behind Wall Street and how they can be instrumental in terms of influencing people who are investing your audience. I'm sure a lot of them mm-hmm. are investing. And so to, to have a screen on their investments to make sure that they're not funding fossil fuel mm. and pay attention to which banks are. I was going to say banks right there. And so, but I think the larger, the larger point is that we had a, you know, um, political uh, standoff, if you will, to not funding green investments. And so I think everyone who's involved with investments needs to be investing in green. Mm. That's going to change everything. And so you'll have more small businesses with more money so that they can hire more people and then they can reach back and, you know, we connect with the schools, but the, the, the fulcrum, the, the place that we need to really have the, the greatest impact, if you will, is on the transition in our, where we invest, because so many people are involved with that. So mm-hmm. if, if I could leave your, your interview with one request is that they monitor their investments very carefully and, and vote with their heart and their mind instead of, just their wallet. Well said. Well now, said. What about how do the schools come up with what their curriculum? How do they choose their curriculum? Do we know? I don't know how they choose it because yeah, of course it's, it's, there's a there's a Department of Education and there right. are state standards and the educators must fulfill those standards in order for their students to pass or 
they can create charter schools or homeschool. They can have alternatives. But the U.S. school system uh, in the 90s started a whole because we were challenged about the fact that, uh, you know, global competition. And so the Department of Education determined that we should have state standards to increase our productivity. It's decreased our innovation. It's decreased our critical thinking. Hmm. It's, it's decreased the young people's ability to be adaptable and flexible, especially during the pandemic. So they don't have as more, as enough social emotional tools to be able to cope with what's going on. So um, the state standards are really what was intended to help equalize the playing field and to increase, you know, economic development in the United States. And it's had a detrimental effect, particularly on young people of color. Hmm. Yeah, that's we're seeing a lot of that. Um, just even with the tree thing, I was talking about hmm. tree equity. Hmm. We don't have tree cover in, you know, places of cover, color, neighborhoods of color, you know, it's... Um, yeah, that's that's so okay. So Iris, I want to go back to you. Uh, can we do a campaign through through your Friday network on um, education and sustainable education? Can we like start saying digital picketing for sustainable education in schools? Yeah, actually, um, what last year we did a brief digital strike for climate education, actually. So that's definitely something, you know, that that we can do. Um, and, you know, I look forward to that. Cool. So we got cool. trash and we've got and mm -hmm. we've got digital a, a campaign for education. We love it. We want to thank both of you for joining mm -hmm. us. It has been a, a joy. A, Iris, thank you for all that you're doing. Marianne, thank you for all mm -hmm. that you're doing. I want to give everyone, again, the website. Uh, again, the book is by Marianne Larned, and it's called Stone Soup for a Sustainable World, Life-Changing Stories of Young Heroes. You can go to stonesoupleadership.org. And Marianne, what was the one for education? Sustainability is fun? Right, .net. Uh, sustainableabilityisfun.net. And then you can also keep up with Iris. Go to fffdigital.org. C-A-R-R-D.co or just go to digitalfridaysforfuture.org, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so it's oh. digital dot. Got have the dot. She wants the dot in there. Digital.fridaysforfuture.org is a website and also sunrisemovement.org. We got to thank our sponsor for today's show. Uh, Margot Carrera is uh, such an amazing, amazing photographer, an amazing mm. woman. She is awesome and um you can see her art. Go to CarreraFineArtGallery.com. All nature inspired. She likes to say you can wrap yourself in nature with her photography and uh, the fashions. Oh, she's got beautiful scarves on there. Just saying. Yeah. Uh, nice. So I want to thank Margot for uh, sponsoring today's episode. And don't forget, keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. We air Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you so much, ladies. Enjoy the rest Thanks, of your ladies. summer. Thank you so much. Really look forward to staying in touch with you. Absolutely. Please do. Keep us posted. And I'm going to watch for tweets and I'll retweet anything you send, Iris. Yeah, I will please. retweet. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Cool.